everyone. So welcome to another episode of the Powercast today. An absolute pleasure to have uh, Dr. Mike Banner on the podcast. I've been on your podcast before. You have. You've given me some very kind feedback on my trainers previously on social media, which I massively appreciated at the time. So always, thank you always. Uh, Thanks spot, for having me. Yeah, spot the Jordan's mile off. So um, <laughs> to give us a bit of a run through, obviously, uh, Dr. Mike, of your second doctor I've had on this podcast this week. I had Dr. Dean on this week as well. Ah. And I never had a doctor before. And I had two in a week. So That's amazing. I'm uh, glad. I'm glad to be second best to Doctor. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say that. Didn't say that. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, so, give us a bit of an intro of who you are, Mike, because you've got quite like an interesting background, obviously, with yourself, what you do for a profession, and your sort of spin on things from a view of where you work from from your work point of view, and also your own journey from fitness. I think a lot of uh, listeners will find very insightful. Sure. So professionally, I'm a GP. I work in West Sussex. I work full time as a GP and a GP trainer, but I also have a part time job as a uh, GP training program director, which means I, I in, with a team of other people, run the training course for GPs as well. So people who are already qualified doctors who are training up to be GPs. Um, and so that keeps me pretty busy. But other than that, I have gone on a bit of a lifestyle change journey. I hate that word journey, but no, I so do I, but it's not an easier word to use for it. No, it's, it's just what it is really. And it's kind of this, this sort of period of about six years where I went from, I grew up very inactive um, and very uninterested in anything to do with physical activity and nutrition or anything like that. Um, I, I was very overweight and I decided that things needed to change. And I gave myself a bit of a five-year plan. Took me six years in the end, but we got there in the end and uh, managed to lose a significant amount of weight, but also changing my whole lifestyle in the process and what I what I did uh, in terms of training and all of those sorts of things as well. So I learned a lot on the way about how little I knew about lifestyle and nutrition, even though I was one of the people that people would go to to, to ask about lifestyle and nutrition. So I, I made it a bit of a mission to learn a little bit more about behavior change, lifestyle, mental health, all of those sorts of things as well. Um, and those are kind of the things that I'm interested in, as it were. What was the, like two things, what was the trigger point for you to take action and lose weight and to give some context to the story? How much weight did you lose? The trigger point, I would say, I always quote this as the trigger point, but to be honest, there were so many different trigger points through my life that prompted me to decide to lose weight. And then I, I didn't. Um, but the one at this particular time was a good friend of mine who was a couple of years older than me at the time, um, very young, uh, had a heart attack. Uh, and he was a very fit and healthy guy, did a lot of sports. Um, and that freaked me out a little bit because I sort of thought oh, I'm getting to the, you know, I'm getting to my 30s. I'm getting to the age where perhaps I, I can't continue to rely on the fact that I'm young in order to be healthy I'm going to start to have medical problems if I don't already have them do I want that to happen no I don't how am I going to change it so I kind of thought I needed to do things differently to how I'd done them previously so that was why I that's why I decided that this was going to take five years I was going to do I was going to do it slow and steady I don't know if you've ever read the book Atomic Habits no so Atomic Habits is an incredible book about building you know building habits sort of in tiny stages and, and and habit change basically i could have written the book but i didn't and so this is i read this book like about a year two years ago and i was like this is this is what i did that's why it worked because i was following this book that i'd never read 
So it's quite frustrating to hear that I could have just read that book a long time ago and then maybe I'd have maybe I'd have done it a bit sooner but um I think I lost in total 35 kilos um and that was that that figure sort of no longer stands if I'm being completely honest because I'm I'm not at the the, the all-time low weight I've been on because I focused a little bit more on things like training and, and how, how tall are you Mike I am 510 officially five I'm about 58 I would say 58 or 59 I'd like to say 59 but you know it's just add a bit extra for lulls. Um, what was obviously interesting you mentioned there, which I always find quite fascinating, is obviously you're in a position with um, as a GP to help and educate people, but then you felt also obviously like you'd got respectfully got into a situation where your weight had gotten out of control and you needed to relearn how to uh, change your own habits essentially. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a lack of education necessarily given to GPs in terms of nutrition and creating people's habits and maybe how to help people with their lifestyles? Undoubtedly, yeah. There's not a lot of education given to GPs, which is none on fault to their own, but I guess just the curriculum that's taught. Yeah, and I think there's there's two sides to that as well, in the sense that the, the education given isn't great in terms of what we are what we are doing is we are told to advise people. We are taught how to advise people and, and to, to talk to people and to to tell them that they should lose weight or to tell them that they should stop smoking and tell them that they should drink less, et cetera. But in some ways we're, we're given sort of assistance on how to do that. And in some ways we're not now when it comes to it, if you have a 10 minute appointment with somebody during which you're also generally looking at a lot of medical problems, it's not enough time. It's not enough resource to actually affect proper lifestyle change you need more you need either support of other teams so we we've we've got great stop smoking clinics and all of those sorts of things where people have longer appointments with nurses and stuff where they talk about that sort of stuff and there are some lifestyle services too so increasingly in time we we have a lot more well-being services where people are able to to go and see other services or have access to this what we call the third sector um and and get advice and help on lifestyle change it's always difficult because I suppose there is a genuine question as to whether or not that belongs in the GP consultation, but wherever it belongs, we're in a really great position to be able to advise people because we're in a trusted profession and we are, we are, we have unprecedented access to people. So people come to speak to us and they come to speak to us and they talk about personal things. So we are in a great position to be able to reach them and to talk to them about things that they might not have considered and to help them, but we don't necessarily have the time and the resources to back that up. But my feeling is more like, well, if we're going to tell them anything, at least for goodness sake, let, let us be able to tell them something that's, that's not a load of nonsense, which is, I think, a problem that we have had in the medical profession. Like sometimes, you know, you might have, a, a, as a PT, have heard somebody come to see you and they say, well, I went to see my GP about this um, and they told me to lose weight and they said I should you know, they should, I should do X, Y, or Z. And you, you may, you may well have rolled your eyes. You know, I don't, I don't know. I've definitely spoken to other PTs who have told me stories that, that their clients have told them about what their GPs have said. And, and again, like sometimes things get lost in translation and it is a genuine misunderstanding. Chinese, but, Chinese whispers sometimes, I think. That yeah, for sure. But then at the same time, it can be different. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I am guilty of it as much as anybody else is. And this, this was part of my point when part of my learning process was that, I, for a very, well, not a very long period of time, because I I didn't really last on it, but I went down the route of, you know, paleo and clean eating and stuff. And and I remember 
certainly sort of telling patients about my success with it and sort of encouraging them to give it a go. And it just, it, you know, it wasn't the right thing to do, I would say. I mean, it wasn't the wrong thing to do. I don't, I don't think I did any anything harmful or anything well, like that. But... advising them to do anything is the right thing to do because them taking action will lead to some conscious thought process that they're going to try. And absolutely, absolutely. But at the same time, I think there is there is we also have to accept that sometimes when you advise someone to do something that they're going to fail at, that can do as much, as much damage as them not trying in the first place. And that's what I think is, I think what we should be focusing more on is advising people to figure out what is the right thing for them to do. Um, And that's where things like coaches and stuff come in. Um, But, you know, coaches don't necessarily have as easy access to, to clients as we do because, people have to pay to see coaches. So they're generally a bit more engaged by the time they come to, to your door. So maybe what we should be focusing more on is trying to get them engaged rather than necessarily telling them the right or the wrong. It is a question of use a GP. Do you think people should be charged to see the GP? Um, no, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I certainly would like it if they didn't. Um, I think we're incredibly fortunate in this country to have, to have an NHS, but there's, there's upsides to it and there's downsides to it. So we, we are, you know, you are sometimes resource limited and that is difficult Just to filter out some of the top, like respective time wasters who come in cause they've got a they've got broken nail or something. Ah, uh, see, I don't, I don't see it. I, I see it very differently and I, I don't see time wasters. And the reason for that is that most people, look, nobody wants to go and see their GP. Uh, nobody, nobody wants to spend time sitting in a waiting room. Um, the reason that they're coming to see a GP is because they're worried about something. Um, and I would say, yes, if they're going to A&E because they've broken a nail, then of course, you know, that, that might be an inappropriate use of resources. But I think in the kind of society that we live in now and the kind of level of education that the general public have about health, I'd rather that they came to see me to talk about it than they listen to someone or on Instagram. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it, it, you get a headache and you're like, you've got a brain tumour yeah there's there's so much nuance and there's so many advantages and disadvantages to it i think what i would worry about so for example if people were paying to see a doctor i think there are a lot of people who would not you know it's it's hard enough to get to see a doctor anyway if they were having to pay for it as well you know often we do we do struggle to get the people who need to see doctors to actually come in so the last thing we want to do is put a barrier in front of them and then say to people have people think more that because they're paying then they they would want even more you know they want to see a doctor even more frequently so i think the the problem with with payment is that it would it would potentially harm the wrong people and i i know it's like that in other countries um but curious point yeah it's 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 really tricky It, it is there's there's advantages and disadvantages but at the same time we have private practice available so for those people who who want to pay and who want to have a different type of service, then they can. Yeah. Options there. Options there. Yeah. Obviously through your own um, transition through your fitness journeys and that word that we hate again, how has that really impacted the way you work with people now? Maybe the people where you educate other GPs, has that massively changed your approach to things? I think that one of the biggest things that it has taught me is, is the humility and the ability to be wrong and the ability to change my mind because having done things that were very wrong for me in terms of in trying to in trying to lose weight it gave me a humility and a recognition that I don't know everything I think that one of the biggest things that we struggle at struggle with as a profession in medicine is that there is 
there's a certain amount of inbuilt arrogance. You know, you train for, for 11 years to do this job. So by the time you get there, it's very easy to think that you know everything. Know everything. And, you know, sometimes being a little bit shut down from your own personal experiences and having your wings clipped and realizing your own limitations, I think is incredibly powerful. And I think I would like to think that that's made me a better GP and it's made me, you know, able to relate to to people better as well and certainly when it comes to things like science if you want to if you want to be somebody that that believes in science you have to leave your ego at the door because we think things now that we didn't think 20 years ago or 10 years ago or even five years ago so you have to be willing to change your mind and you have to own it you have to you know when somebody says oh but you said this two years ago you have to be able to say yeah that's because I was mistaken that's because Mm. I thought that and I was based right. on the information I had available at the time. I presented yeah, exactly the interpretation that was the optimal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it, like in relation to that, is there anything in particular that springs to mind? With obviously you losing so much weight, obviously you must have tried a lot of different tactics, methods. Was there anything like engrossed in your memory? You think like that's the worst thing I ever did. I wish I didn't do that, or anything that uh, really sort of comes to mind. There's there's a couple of things, and and I think it's an example also because this is again coming full circle you realize that sometimes misinformation isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. It's just what you do with it and how you grow from it. That's important. Like, so for example, when I first started what I would call the successful period of, of my kind of dieting life, I believed that, um, you know, if you didn't eat enough, your metabolism slowed down. So you would stop losing weight and that would be, um, that would, that would kind of stop you from, from from continuing to lose weight because your body would go into starvation mode you know all the things that we we chuckle at now what that did actually to me at the time was that it meant that instead of um you know i had a calorie limit that i was eating to and instead of um trying to eat a lot fewer calories than my calorie limit i was eating to the limit so i was eating loads in my mind i was like this is amazing i'm eating so much more than i would ever eat in on a diet when I tried to diet previously I was almost you know almost trying to starve myself which is probably why I'd failed previously so having think having that incorrect thought that my that I would stop losing weight if I didn't eat this you know 1900 or 2000 calories or whatever a day meant that my adherence was able to last a lot longer because I didn't feel like I was on a diet it's, so it's kind of yeah and it's kind of it's it's recognizing that you know sometimes we get massively caught up in in the idea that oh i can't believe you told somebody not to eat carbs after six that might be the right thing for that person you don't know as long as you're not telling them like the incorrect science behind it then i you know i wouldn't i wouldn't advocate doing it intentionally but at the same time it's not the worst thing in the world if you feel that you know by eating too little you'll you'll slow down your your um metabolism because at least then you'll end up not trying to starve yourself which is you know undoubtedly having its own benefits because it means you've got more energy to do exercise um you're likely to last longer on the diet and all of those sorts of things as well but you know i went i went through a big paleo phase i I cut out wheat sugar and dairy because i i i was told and believed that it that wheat makes you fat people can't um can't metabolize wheat at different at different levels so if you cut out wheat you'll lose weight now in reality if i cut out wheat i'm cutting out pasta bread burgers and cake which are the things undoubtedly that were the reasons that i was that i i had put on weight in the first place yeah 
So for me, you know, it was great for weight loss, but it wasn't great for my relationship with food because it made me miserable. It meant that I couldn't actually do a lot of the things that I enjoyed socially and that I couldn't eat a lot of the things that I enjoyed. And so that was always going to end badly. But, you know, I didn't know that at the time. It's one of those things, I think the real key take home point that you said there was adherence and also the underlying point of like consistency there. Yeah. It's something funny enough, like we mentioned before we kind of podcast, what it's called now, the high performance planner is this book that I just yeah. bought, uh, organized my life. And it basically you have to write down a, like a quote or something to tell yourself every day. And my mind today was, um, it's a marathon, not a sprint because I put too much pressure on myself to try and achieve things too quickly. And I end up rushing through stuff was sometimes you actually end up going farther and be- farther, going further and becoming better by sometimes taking a step back and a bit, been a bit slower with your approach. And that's Definitely. the way with fat loss is that, and I get with clients all the time and start with me and like, we're not doing cardio every day. What's going on? I was like, like, trust me, that will come at some point, but you don't need to be doing that at the very beginning. Yeah. Like everything is a process and it's a step-by-step stage. You can't go from never training to a training twice a day. Like, everything incrementally progresses yeah there's everything in life and you can't go from zero to 100 straight away because it just doesn't work and we we all want to run before we can walk and 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 i think that's there's a big sort of human nature in that especially when we feel motivated and i think there are times to speed things up like you know when you're feeling particularly motivated but there's times to also recognize that you you know you're in it for the long haul you're not just trying to to have a quick fix because it's the quick fixes that tend not to work and that, that just becomes, I think, becoming self-aware of your own personality and your personality traits. And I, I have become very aware that I'm very gung-ho and um, slapdash with stuff. So I tend to need, to, which is very good because I'm incredibly efficient at implementing things in my life. But I also sometimes don't think things through as quickly, as properly as maybe I should. Um, so it's a double-edged sword, I think, with a lot of things. But I think the big thing is mindset and habits and was there like, I know you're big into reading and absorbing information. Was there anywhere that you took a lot of solace from that helped you with your journey? Do you know what? I've only really got into reading in the last year or two, which is, which is really interesting. I I think I've always, it's odd to me because I've always been some, someone who has had a lot of motivation to, you know, I've had a lot of ambition and, and, but I focused it all in things like academics and stuff like that. So it's always quite strange to me when I reflect back about how lazy I am able to be in some aspects of my life and how motivated um, I I can, I can be in others. And it's something I've reflected on quite a lot. And I actually started writing before I started reading because I found that writing blogs and articles would really help me reflect on, on these sorts of situations. But to me, most of my, most of the motivation actually came from social media like I, I i used it entirely for accountability it was twitter at the time um i followed a load of fitness accounts i actually had one of my twitter friends was was sort of the person that kind of said to me you know you you could you could lose weight if you wanted to because i remember i i basically seen in the olden days people's my fitness pal diaries used to auto post on twitter That's and cool. I, I remember this this guy had followed me who was in amazing shape and i remember seeing his um his my fitness pal diary auto post and i thought oh i wonder what this is going to be like i bet this guy lives on you know chicken and lettuce <laughs> and i saw like you know he'd had a subway for lunch like oats for breakfast subway for lunch and then like you know cottage pie and vegetables for dinner and i was like hang on a minute what's going on here and i i spoke to him about it and i was like how come you know how come you eat normal food i thought that wasn't a thing like at this point you got to remember i knew nothing about fitness or the fitness industry 
or anything like the idea of me having a personal trainer was ludicrous even the idea of me joining a gym at that point was completely ludicrous um I tried all sorts I'd already tried like I bought a bike and stuff to see if I would do that I didn't so yeah it was it was interesting and and he sort of offered to help me um and got me to download my fitness pal and that that's how it all sort of started really um and then yeah I would use it for accountability I would say oh, I don't feel like going to the gym today and then I'd have a lo- load of people replying saying go to the gym you know like it and it was it was odd I don't really know why it worked but it just did so I just kept with it and I suppose that's how I became a bit of a social media addict as well but that's another you think, story um if it wasn't for that you wouldn't have made the progress you did um yeah it's so hard to say I think that so many stars have aligned and and like I said I have tried to lose weight so many times in my life I I genuinely cannot pinpoint what it was this time around that made it work I think it must have just been a mixture of everything but certainly I think accountability for me has always been the one thing that's kept me going the idea that if I don't do something that I might not just disappoint myself but I might also disappoint other people who I respect and who I want to respect me which is not always the greatest reason for doing something. It's, it's kind of a, a slightly odd extrinsic motivator. Um, but I think sometimes when you want to make change, you sort of have to take the motivation from where you can get it. And I think if you have motivation, then Use using it, it is, is usually, a, a, usually a positive thing. 100%. It's one of those things you have to... I, I think it's a lot of truth in if you the more you consciously think about something and being successful at something the more likely it's going to come to happen that sort of law of attraction sort of thing the more you think about getting in better shape the more conscious you are of your eating habits your exercise moving around or taking stairs not getting a lift and it's those small little changes every single day like little tweaks like it's used to changing your habits over a period of time that becomes a huge lifestyle transformation and it's hugely absolutely so Absolutely. And also the, the um, belief in your ability to do it. And this was the first time that instead of people saying to me, or not that many people have said this to me, but instead of the idea being, you should lose weight, you should try and lose weight. Um, you need to lose weight. It was more like, you know, you could do this if you wanted to, you know, it's not that hard. You can do this. And I don't think that, that we tell people that enough. I, I think that it's, it's often done in quite a disempowering way. And I think it should be, it should be done in a more empowering way generally. Yeah, ultimately you have full control of your body's functions and what you put into it. Like food doesn't control you, you control food. So yeah, it's a conscious decision. Yeah, and I'll, I'll caveat this because I know that there, there are, you know, from a socioeconomic point of view, there are a lot of people who don't, who don't have that sort of control. But certainly when, when I'm talking about this, I'm, I'm talking quite specifically about my own journey and the reasons that, you know, that I was overweight. And it's, it's difficult because I'm, you know, I, I, I have had access to great education. I've had access to great resources. I've always lived within easy distance of of supermarkets. I've always had access to fresh produce and all of that kind of stuff, which not everybody has. So, you know, my constraints have been very different to other people's and they've been, they've been from more of a kind of a, a time perspective shift work and all of that kind of stuff, but mainly from a, um, from a lack of interest from my point of view, but it's not the same for everybody. And there's a lot of people who spend a lot of effort trying really hard to lose weight by employing methods that they've been told will lose them weight that will only make them sad. 
Mm. They won't even work to make them lose weight. Like, you know, it, like clean eating is an example. You can eat as much as you like, as long as it's avocados That's and stupid. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating because then you have people who, who hate avocados and forcing them down. almonds, yeah. forcing all of this down, forcing down these smoothies. So they're suffering to lose weight, but they're not losing weight because, because they're doing the wrong things. And it's really tough. And it frustrates me. Like something, I don't know quite how to go about it. It's something I personally would love to do be a way to implement more education and nutrition and training to schools from a, a very basic level, although I'd be out of a job, but like it would do like if you could catch everyone at that point, I don't know, from 12 to 15 maybe and educate them on the importance of this and how to actually eat correctly and how to exercise and how your diet should be set up to maintain the sort of body you want. Like we could change the whole health system and help like a lot of the issues that probably you see on a daily basis. You wouldn't see now, I guess, in terms of like diabetes, people being overweight. And I think that probably comes into like next point in terms of like how can the fitness industry perhaps help like the NHS and maybe the medical system a little bit more. Oh, I mean, that's a really good question. And I think, I think that the issue is, like you said, that the change needs to come from the top down because on a public health level, the reasons that people are overweight are actually, like I think statistically, a lot of it is down to, to resource and things like that and to do with advertising and to do with the food industry and things like that. So there's a lot of legislation that needs to be A lot of mislabeling as well. Yeah, a lot of mislabeling, but also it's things like, so for example, if you imagine the, you know, the kind of single parent that's doing shift work, trying to support several kids um, and they come home after the kids come home. So the kids have to get their own food sorted and they've got a limited budget to do it. Are they going to go to the, the, the pizza place that does a buy one, get one free deal with all the bright colors and all of that kind of stuff? Or are they going to go to a supermarket and buy some raw vegetables and go home and cook them? You know, it's kind of, that are, that are also more expensive than than the meal deals that they're getting. So there's a lot of things around that. There's a lot of things about advertising and there's a lots of things about kind of the socioeconomic availability of food to, to everybody. But then there's the, edu- the education side of things as well. So then, then what's also as frustrating is that you have the highly educated people with the, all of the resources who are, um, engaging in poor nutrition because of misinformation and that's what you know that's what makes it really difficult is the healthy labels on things in the supermarket that aren't really any different to the the things that people just like to eat um there's so much that could be done but it does it needs to come from government down and i think that's why it's so difficult i think i think that that what everybody tries to, the way everyone tries to approach it is on a very individual basis it's your responsibility you need to do it but how if you don't know anything about it where do you find the information who do you find the information from who do you listen to and how do you put it into practice there's all of these different obstacles in people's ways which is great if you're engaged and motivated but if you're not engaged or motivated then it's just not going to happen yeah. question if you might if you were me and you had the goal of trying to help educate people within that early window, as I said, what would you do? What would I do? I, I mean, getting in touch with local schools and stuff yeah, would probably be a good start. Like, I've thought about reaching out to my old schools, to be fair. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do a presentation. Or... Yeah, because the thing is, there's, there are always places. I mean, there's schools, there's local gyms, local... If you, I mean, even if you speak to your... Um, 
we're having this discussion we like we have a patient participation group at our um at our practice and we put on health talks from time to time and there's also even locally it's not to do with my practice specifically but there's there's this thing called the big event which happens at a gym and you get like loads of local services that come and do talks about their services and i went and did a health talk there last year um ironically i'm supposed to be doing a tough mudder the day that it is this year so i don't know if i'll be able to get out of that and, and go and do it but um you know there, there, there are loads of things that are going on it's finding out where they are who's doing them and then there's all the the red tape behind it as well like you know can who who do we let speak at these things do we know enough about them do we know enough about what they talk about are they just going to advertise their business etc so I know I know of personal trainers who've tried to do this and who have come up against some resistance with it as well. So it is genuinely quite difficult to do. It's a lot easier to preach to the converted. It's a lot easier for you to go and speak at a fitness expo or something like yeah. that or to do a talk for your clients who are already your clients. And that's what's so difficult about it. It's very fi- easy to find the engaged people, but not the non-engaged. That's what's frustrating about the system. I have no interest in my own... Um sell like trying to sell myself to them when i've like respectfully have enough clients as it is but yeah. i feel a moral obligation because i was overweight as a teenager that yeah. i helped people who were in the same situation i yeah. was i didn't know where to turn for help because that's the reality of a lot of girls boys from 13 to 18 and older that they want to take action and change whatever their issue is however their parents don't know how to help them or aren't willing mm-hmm. to help them and their schools probably not going to help them or have the information available. So they're almost stuck at a rock of a hard place of what do they do? Go on Google and yeah. young and them got uh, funds available to purchase information or pay for someone to help them. So they're pretty screwed in a lot of respects. Yeah. I mean, speak to councils, speak to youth services, uh, council schools, youth services. If it's, if it's young people that you particularly want to want to speak to um, even, you know, putting on a free class in the local gym for young people. Uh, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a good question. Please, please thought. Think on it. Yeah. Please thought. If you come up with any brainwaves, let me know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, digressing from that. What's your thoughts on supplement industry and medical industry at the moment, the way everything's going with there? Obviously there's a lot of, I don't know if that delves much into like GP's world. Do you get patients come to you asking questions about like, certain health supplements brands are promoting or like protein supplements or creatine. It was like, finally, I did a podcast thing with Phil Lerner yesterday and he, we both spoke about uh, it's humor when your, your mum found your first tub of protein powder creatine and hit the roof. Like, do you get any funny scenarios like that come up? And what I actually, I actually recently had a, a patient who said, uh, what's that in your, what's that purple stuff in your, in your drinks bottle? And I was like, I had this moment where I was like, Oh, do I just say it's like, it's squash. <laughs> <laughs> or do I say, oh, that's my, that's my strawberry and kiwi creatine that I'm sipping. Um, and I said it was creatine and then I suddenly, suddenly felt like, oh gosh, like, you know, do I, should I be saying this? You know, it, I, I always get really worried about kind of speaking outside of, of my lane and all of that kind of stuff. We're not educated in medical school about things like supplements. So although I've done all my own, my own research, um, I, I don't often, and I, I think it's a, it's a mark of my own, my patient population that I look after isn't generally the type of population that would be that would be asking about this but a lot of people do ask about supplements um vitamins things like that and it's 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 very difficult to advise because we're just not educated on those things and the interactions between the different the different drugs and all of those things so it's tough but i think that what we often see um as as a bit of an issue is that 
people would love like a quick fix. So people are always after a quick fix. And we talk this yeah, and we talk this about supplements. Like people will start drinking protein shakes before they start actually going to the. And gym. this is this is what literally drives you fucking insane. Yeah, people will like we were speaking about earlier in terms of like where people invest their money and the real key of why people don't progress and they're in the situation they are in is lack of education and knowledge. Yeah, so what the general public will do, they're going to spend forty pounds on some shit fat burner product rather than hire a trainer to sit down with them, write them out a program or a diet, and try and explain to them this is how you will eat, this will change your life rather than buying something off the shelf, yeah. which is a load of caffeine and yeah. probably. Yeah. And I think we do it in a lot of ways. Like I, you know, I remember when I was, when I, whenever I would start revising for exams, I'd buy like new pens or a new, you know, new paper or new yeah. books that I didn't need just because the idea of spending money on something always makes us feel like we're doing something about it. Um, and sometimes that's what we want more than actual change. We want to feel like we're doing something. And I think it's difficult because it is, it's like sometimes people, will find it easier to ask for a sleeping tablet than they would to go and have a look at all their sleep hygiene and all of those sorts of things as well. Um, and the thing is that there's an, there's an awful lot of money to be made from that as well. So it's very, very difficult to balance the idea that there are a lot of supplements that are generally useful, but the, like the, the clue is in the name. It's a supplement. It's meant to supplement what yeah. you are already doing to achieve the thing that you want to achieve. But somebody said to me the other day, about I think I was eating a carb killer and someone said oh does it does that work <laughs> god and I and I was like laugh, I what do you mean no we shouldn't laugh because it's 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 what it's the way that things are that things are marketed that make us think yeah it's like it's like a, you know I remember when I was growing up you'd see like the you know the, the supplement area in like the chemist or whatever you walk past and it would always just have pictures of jacked people on the label and it would be this you would you would think that you just take the powder and grow you know that's what that's almost how things were marketed and there's there's a lot of you know before a lot of the rules were in place about what you could and couldn't say um i think a, there's a lot left over from that as well something uh made me laugh i had to put up my instagram story because it was just humorous when i was in thailand the other week there was an energy drink and it had uh said contains amino acids and amino acids i can't remember what it said i think it was like amino acids increase your energy which like Obviously, they don't. And um, I, I think that's what it said. You know, when you look at something, you're like, how, the f- like, how on earth did you put that on the label? Like, on like an advertising poster. I looked at it. And I, was, I, think, I think it was that. And it was literally madness. But, yeah, um, I mean, it, there's so much stuff. And it, like, you know, even, even the names of things. Like, you know, if something's called, if something's called Maxi Muscle, what do you yeah. think it's going to do? What, what, what are you thinking? Are you going to interpret you know? that? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it, it's just, it is difficult and it's difficult to, to kind of explain to people, but it's also hard because there probably are a lot of supplements that are, would potentially be very beneficial to people, but it's, it's really tough to sort the wheat from the chaff because mm. often you, you hear the claims that are made about them and you know, that there's, there's lots of things that they're not allowed to say and there's lots of things that they are allowed to say. And it, it's always difficult to, to figure out there's always money to be made. So it's often difficult to, to figure out what you, what you should and shouldn't be listening to, I suppose. Yeah, agreed. One last topical question that's obviously very much in the news and is driving me slightly mental. Uh, having been wearing a face mask around Bangkok Airport, what's your, what's your opinion on the coronavirus? It's being um, blown out of proportion? Or? I think it's... I hope it's being blown out of proportion, but I don't, I don't really think that it is. I think... I think it depends who you mean by. I certainly think it's it's being blown out of proportion by some people. 
I think the media are, are in an awkward position because at the end of the day, a lot of information needs to be disseminated to a lot of people who need to take it seriously. So it's almost like if you cast your net very, very wide, you will catch more fish. And I think the idea is they are, they are trying to contain a virus at the moment, which is a very, very, very difficult thing to do. Unless you have an, in, an incredibly engaged public in, in the process of doing that, it is not going to work. It's probably not going to work anyway. But unless people are actually engaged in doing the hygiene methods and all of those sorts of things, then it definitely won't work. But what's difficult is to pitch it at the right level. So to get everybody to wash their hands without causing panic. Yeah. And put their, you know, sneeze into their elbows and throw their tissues away and clean their surfaces without having a national shortage of hand sanitizer. It doesn't seem to be possible to do one without the other. So you know, you, you then, the, the problem is... That's zero to 100 we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and then once, once some people have overreacted. So, for example, if everybody's bought all the hand sanitizer, then what are you going to do? The minute you see hand sanitizer, you're going to buy it. You're going to do your apocalypse shop. All of those sorts of things that, because you're now scared, not because of what might be, but because you might not actually be able to get food to feed your family because everyone's already bought it. Not because they need to necessarily. And then these things become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, exactly. But I think, I think, I think I've been, I think in many ways it's been taken as seriously as it should be taken in order to give us the best chance to actually stop doing it. But if you, if you just listen to the advice of, World Health Organization, Public Health England, the NHS, if you just ignore everything else and just listen to that, then there's really good information being given. There's really helpful advice being given. And we just have to watch and wait. But unfortunately, we just have to watch and wait is not enough for the media, but it's also not enough for the public. They demand more. They want to know more. So that's when the misinformation and the disinformation someone was calling it so we actually we did a podcast with a chap called david Rob, david robert grimes who's done a really great article on on the coronavirus in the irish times so i would recommend for anybody to read that that is that is where we're at at the moment it's a really good summary of everything and what he calls it is an infodemic is it's actually the, the, this kind of epidemic of information that is almost more damaging than than it's like i heard no. i think it might be on gmt or something like that they threw out a headline that half a million people in the UK could die from coronavirus. And I was like, how the fuck do you come to that? Like, how, how can you come up with like numbers like that and start throwing things around like that and into the public without trying to ensue panic? Because in my opinion, that's just like scaremongering at volume and scale. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is... They need to have some responsibility when it comes to claims and things like that i think sometimes i agree with you and i think that it is it's really difficult when when things are sensationalized um but i I think that the challenge is that we just the challenge is the unknown and so of course when there's unknown people are going to start to to speculate um and actually what we should be doing is just listening to the clever people and I'm not talking about myself when I say that, but listening to the clever people who are putting out the official information, doing our best to follow that information. Because the thing is, it's when it becomes damaging is like, like, so for example, some of the, some of the masks that are being sold, which are being sold to make money are actually have a chance of increasing the spread of the virus because of being used incorrectly because of false reassurance that you're protected. Therefore you're less likely to wash your hands. You're less likely to, 
you know, to, to do other things. They're becoming, you know, the, the masks become moist and soggy and they're more likely to carry germs. Um, germs. So, you know, it, it's kind of like there is a genuine problem with this information, but at the same time, I think it is something that needs to be taken seriously because there is, even if it's slowed down, to, I mean, I think that the way that, hospitals are etc and the way that the percentage of people that seem to be becoming sick from it are we just need to be very careful because what we don't want to do is fill up hospitals with people with coronavirus because then what are you going to do if you have a heart attack you're more likely to you know not be able to get a bed but also to to then more likely to catch a virus when you're in hospital so it's more like it's it's very very important that we try and do something about it but that doesn't mean that you know, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world is what I mean. Um, but yeah, it's really difficult because we just don't have the information to give to people yet. Awesome. All right, we'll start to wrap things up there. I want to have one last quote or question from you. So obviously you've had an incredibly inspirational fat loss journey. Again, we use that horrendous term. There's so many people who really struggle with that last step of taking action and changing themselves what would you say to those people, maybe yourself before you started and I've obviously completed the transformation now, what would you want to say to anyone like that who is sitting on the fence or scared to ask out for help or to change? I would say that everybody is capable of some change. How much change is very individual and is a lot of people have a lot of constraints on them, but you can do something and whatever you do will improve your life or whatever small changes you make. So I would say go for the low hanging fruit, go for the path of least resistance. Don't be ashamed to try and make things easy for yourself. Don't make things too hard. Small steps. And that's, yeah. And, and the thing is, I think progress in itself is a motivator. So when you start to see results, often you might then be willing to go to the next level of, of, of what you want to do, but start from the bottom. Don't try and run before you can walk. Um, and you know, be as, be lazy for goodness sake. Like, you, you know, don't, you don't need to do everything. No. Go for the path of least resistance. That's some excellent advice. And that it's one of the best things I think I read. And I, it's probably the worst. Some of my life talking about being slap dashes. Um, you want to find a lazy person, lazy person to do something because they find the most efficient way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's my, exactly. my approach to pretty much everything in life. How's the quickest way I get from A to B with minimal yeah. effort? That's why I work myself, clients, business, everything. Like, if yeah. it doesn't, like people do stuff for the sake of doing it just to tick a box. Exactly. Like, what's the point of even having that box if it doesn't yeah. affect anything? So I've always said, if I ever write a biography, like an autobiography, it's going to be called The Path of Least Resistance. That's banging like that. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap that up there. So um, for anyone who wants to find out any more information about you, Mike, or ask you any questions in regards to your journey, which is very inspirational, what's your Instagram social media handles? Social media handle is Dr. Mike the Second. So D-R-M-I-K-E-T-H-E-2-N-D. Um, I think it's the same. Yeah, same on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and TikTok now as well. I mean, I've got that as well. Yeah, I haven't actually done anything on TikTok yet. I'm too, I'm too scared, but we'll see. Maybe someday. That's a weird platform. Um, it is, isn't it? Uh, so we'll wrap things up there, guys. And as always, if anyone's looking for any help with their own fitness journey, feel free to reach out to myself, uh, or you can use the, link, the links below to apply to work with me or one of the team at CGO Coaching. So thank you so much for your time today, Mike. And that'd be hugely inspiring for a lot of people and there's a lot of information out there. So Thank oh, you thanks for having me. It's a pleasure as always to talk. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy.